Geek Shock. Geek Shock. have fun out there guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a speech we got at uh, the experience oh jesus christ you're gonna die on us now oh god here he Again? goes andy oh, god, andy, andy all right, I'll carry him out to there. the car <laughs> no follow him out to the car and make sure he doesn't it's fall down funny, the tone of the jeff that i don't have anything else to say yeah. <laughs> as i was, was mid-drink <laughs> I only had to carry him from the car to the front or the hospital. Was I heavy? Oh, okay. Yeah, you were. <laughs> <laughs> well, I stepped on the scale the other day, and I'm 280. Yeah. So that's impressive. And yeah. you're about a foot taller than me. Well, you're a hobbit. So. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You should have Lord of the Rings strength. I've got hugging for your hobbit toes. Okay. I'll bet you do. Yeah. I'll bet you. That do. does not surprise me. Yeah. Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 377. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Wow. Moon pie. Yeah. <laughs> Fact check Andy. Maple Leaf Matt. And we're here to talk Weekend Geek. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but uh, Paul has officially left the show. Uh, we are just one too many things in a very, very busy schedule. So he has decided to move along. It may be permanent, maybe not, but for now I would not expect him, at least for a good while. So I'll miss him. I'm sure we all will. Unless you all think that we have been hiding this from you, no, this just happened today. So. Yeah, and I know some big Paul fans out there, so uh, you can still catch him on ICS. That's going to still keep continue, but uh, unfortunately, we will have to soldier on without him. So Soldier on we shall. Indeed. And for so. the meantime, I've taken over his chair. Please don't leave us. <laughs> <laughs> it's another new era of Geek Shock. Yes. We've had many new eras of Geek Shock. <laughs> the next, next incarnation of Geek Shock. You don't get 377 episodes. Listen, when the podcaster in front of you dies, pick up the rifle. All right, keep going. <laughs> so is this now the, uh, is this Deep Space Nine or is this uh, Voyager? What do we got going on here? Huh? Yeah, what? As as, uh, no, it's it's not like that. Yeah. I, would, okay. I would say it's Discovery, but hey, at least ow. we have a show. Oh, ouch. Oh. <laughs> Wow, I was I, I I had it on the tip of my tongue a show that like re- refreshes the cast like every few Doctor Who every few years, but no, no, not Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great show, Doctor Who. No, it's not. It kind of fits that criteria. Shut your ignorant mouth. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm in the Bonzo seat, and I will not. <laughs> wow, it's not a good show. I am stand by that. The tension, you suck. <laughs> Babylon Five, Far Superior. Gentlemen, what geeky things you do this week? Uh, I finished my marathon at Marco Polo. Excellent show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess that's not really geeky. No, no. It's, it's a Netflix show. It's it almost be. has to be geeky because of that. I like it better than Game of Thrones, honestly, at this point. That's some solid... Because yeah. you like wow. Game of Thrones. I do. But this one... I guess Game of Thrones, kind of like Walking Dead, where I've stopped watching it because it's got... It's like too many seasons. It's just the same shit over and over again. How far are you on Game of Thrones? To the new season, like oh, so you're ready to go for I'm the new? Already, yeah, ready to go. But I mean, oh. it's just like, all right, get get on the dragons, get over here, get your army. <laughs> Marco Fuck Polo in. moves faster than Game of Thrones. Yeah, okay. More has happened. More stuff has happened in one season of Marco Polo 
than like three than, years. Than, <laughs> than a season of Game of Thrones. Wow. So, and Benedict Wong, who yeah, played Wong in it. Doctor Strange, he yeah. is Kublai Khan, and he is phenomenal. I, I just love that motherfucking performance. You know who's growing on me? I like two other guys. Hundred Eyes, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Good and character. Prince Jingham. I actually like him. <laughs> Gesture with the other hand. <laughs> like this this gesture are you insinuating that he's moving the mic away from oh, his yes. mouth as he gestures <laughs> oh I see I'm yeah, new at I, this I was really fun and then there was the guy <laughs> I just I thought you were going to tell that there was the woman from Venus joke from season one of next gen there for a second <laughs> I don't know that joke I was like I want to it's Data trying to assimilate is it a humor. He, he's, yeah, he's trying. It sounds like there it's gonna be a limerick. Was, it gets cut off. He goes, "There once was a woman from Venus whose body was shaped like a bridge to Captain Picard." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. or was it Picard to engineering? One of I, those. And engineering. that was the one where the he goes into the holodeck and Joe Piscopo pops up to uh, give him training in comedy. Right. Right. Uh, no, that one was in season two. Oh, I think this was whoops. the season one, uh, Naked Now, where they had uh. the. The uh, naked now. Yeah. The, the uh, infection Data similar bang to the season Tasha. one. <laughs> yeah. Not now, Doctor. that one was so funny. <laughs> that was so. You know, it was really interesting to me. That was a defining feature. One of the reasons I wasn't completely smitten with TNG because TOS. Now they operated under different standards, mm-hmm. standards and practices. Okay. But TOS did far more with that little infection thing than TNG did, right? You had Sulu with the sword, and you had real in-depth stuff with the Spock and Kirk. And then Naked Now, it, I, it, it wasn't completely, but it really did feel like everybody just got horny and fucked somebody. That's, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I, it, and I remember watching that going, eh. I've been watching the uh, TOS the last couple of weeks. I've, been, mm. I've watched a couple episodes this because I honestly, it's been so long since I've seen him, and I saw most of them on a little twelve-inch black and white. Right, right, I, yeah. Um, I saw that one recently, and yeah, that I mean, I'm amazed how good uh, Takai is. Takay is in it straight mm-hmm. through. He's, yeah, he's good from the beginning. Uh, some of the other ones are kind of finding their feet, but uh, he's right jumps right. in both feet. Yeah, he's oh and he's great in that. He's great to follow on Twitter yeah. too. My I God. still the yes, special effects. The, the the remaster special effects just look goofy. Uh, with it, it looks like a toy ship flying in front of uh, an incredibly rendered shit thing. You know, it's just like it depends what, on what, whether you're watching it. If you're watching it in high definition, it doesn't look as as chintzy. All right. I yeah. No, I'm loving it. Okay. Totally you're saying the remaster effect is not. Jumping? They're not working for him apparently. No, I, I don't think it. It looks. It looks like. Uh, Puppets in front of uh, wow. When the original was actually puppets in front. Yeah, of... no, I mean I prefer the puppets in front of the than in front of the ball hanging from a string with a light on it. Huh. So it's um, actually very good then because that's what it was. The, the... <laughs> yeah, that that I have to say, Andy, that's really inscrutable to me. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I was really impressed. Fact, when I was watching the uh, Blu-ray of it, you could switch back and forth. See, yeah. if I could switch back and forth, that'd be different. But I can't. I'm watching on Netflix. Oh, okay. But but even so, I'm like I didn't have to do that to realize that this is better. Especially that one. What's uh, what's the one with the Doomsday gi- Machine? Yeah, the big uh, poop with a glowing mouth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doomsday Machine. Yeah, it's funny. That's one of the ones Vernon and I will watch over. And it's I funny know. we we don't even worry about the effects anymore. We just sit there and gush over. 
uh, Wyndham's performance because it is very, very over the top. But at the yeah. same time, we're just like Vernon and I will sit there now and it's like, look at him. As soon as he sits in the captain's chair, he picks up the uh, the tape wafers and he like sits there and nibbles on them and stuff to give his hands to do it. So we start looking at nuances of his performance. Yeah. And it was really funny because if you do look at Wyndham, when he is not talking, but he's on the bridge and stuff, he is very much like a Commodore. He's very much like the highest ranking officer on the bridge. The way he stands, the way he moves around. It's really, it was. It, we just sit there and it, we just get amazed by it. Mm. And, uh, and yeah, and then we sit there and point out, oh, Good. This is a good scene for gaseous anomalies too. <laughs> oh yeah, which uh, Vernon is uh, working on. Yes, very nice. Yes, yeah, so that's all. I did. Vernon and the never-ending th- list of things that he's working on. Right. Got to keep busy. Yeah. Well, well I watched the end of uh, Santa Clarita Diet. And, uh, are you happy throughout? Oh, absolutely. It, my, only, my only problem with it is it ends a cliff on a cliffhanger. Aha. Uh-huh. And I kind of saw that coming in the last couple. Of, I was like, wait a minute. There's no way they're gonna wrap this. Oh shit. It's a cliffhanger. I gotta wait for them to, to go up on another season eighteen months from now or whenever the other four drops go. Well, at least I have a plan. Yeah, and I'll, that's what I'll give to Netflix shows versus a lot of what you see mm-hmm. on television because television doesn't know when they're going to be mm-hmm. given the cut of death. But Netflix, there seems to be a plan on each one. Yeah, the uh, the main characters have a teenage daughter, and uh, was I was kind of underwhelmed at first when I saw her. And by the last episode, I was rolling. She had she put in a performance on the last episode that had me dying. Yeah, yeah. So, so funny throughout. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you're selling and me. dark, very dark. You're definitely selling yeah. me. You're definitely selling me. I got it on my list. I yep. Just... I started playing D and D again by yourself. Got the group. Oh, oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. By himself. The best. The best way. Weapon in hand always. But um, natural twenty, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we got the gang back. This is the the D and D one where um, Lewis is playing a chaotic evil half orc barbarian because when he found out Paulette was playing a drow, he's like, "There's no way I can do anything but be evil to try to match her." And then to his <laughs> chagrin, Paulette was actually working hard to be a good character. <laughs> And so then Lewis is running around desecrating bodies and killing prisoners. And we had this, it was really funny. So you turn to her and go, how does that feel? Mm-hmm. How does that feel? It's funny because I, uh, she actually does get exasperated with him. It's actually <laughs> hilarious. Uh, Matt gets really exasperated. But we had, a, we had a great moment. It's like I have this Sandrake attack the guards because they ended months ago captured. Years ago, yeah, captured. It was two years. Oh wow! Since and uh, session, yeah. we had I had this Sandrake cat uh, break up the whole caravan and everything. The guards are fighting it, and uh, Matt's the only one who's conscious. So he's trying to bring back Andy, and he's trying to bring back Lewis and Paulette to escape. So I'm having the guards fight the Sandrake while everyone else is trying to figure out what they're doing, and I have one Mook guard. And I roll openly. I don't roll behind a screen. And I'm tossing out my 20, and this guy is critting and critting <laughs> and critting, and he's killing the Sandrake single-handedly. The veteran, who is the guy with all the hit points and all the abilities, gets his ass knocked over, is not doing anything. So there are two mooks. One is constantly missing. One is constantly critting. I finally kill the critting mook, but it's, it's absolutely heroic. I mean, he's just beating the hell out of the Sandrake. And then the last guy 
who's been missing the whole time, gets his one hit in, and kills the Sandrake. And that's when Lewis's character was brought conscious, and he's like, he stole my kill! So I had this mook just like leaning on his sword, and he's sort of like Bill Duke from Predator. He's like, I got the motherfucker. I got him, Bob. I got him. And I'm describing this, and then, I got him. And then Lewis just comes along and <laughs> splits his skull. The mook? Yeah. Jesus Christ. And then, then Matt and Lewis almost go at it because Lewis is like desecrating bodies, and Matt's like, no, 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 not this guy. And he points to the heroic mook. He's like, he gets a decent burial because he was a hero. And Lewis goes ahead and desecrates the body. He gave him the head. He gave him the head to bury. And then and then, then you didn't do it. No. You, you were like, ah, oh, well, fuck it. And you just threw it away. <laughs> oh, in true bad fashion, I, was, I might I was add. so mad. <laughs> My character's a druid. Character's oh, wow. about life. Yeah. All that. So um, exact opposite to his half work. Oh, yeah. Barbarian it beast really thing. Funny. Yeah. Wow. And Lewis, Lewis is not the type to carry a grudge. They could actually wait for that character to be one hit point and go, okay, enough is enough, and backstab him, kill him. And Lewis will just make a new character and we'll just continue with the game. But right now, they're oddly tolerating this shit. Andy is borderline enabling it. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, Andy? we got this weird Enabler? dynamic. Go- no. We got this weird dynamic going on where my chaotic good uh, dwarf has just figured out how to control the 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 uh, yeah, it's, it's evil half orc. You end any sentence you say with "Okay, boss." That's how you do it. <laughs> yeah, you're right, boss. Yep. <laughs> Your idea where we go down in the valley and investigate that's a pretty good idea. And Lewis will play along. You'll be like, "Yes, I like that idea. I came up with that." So you know, so Andy's totally like power behind <laughs> it, the throning him. <laughs> Except where it comes uh, to desecrating bodies. Yeah, I don't, my my dwarf doesn't care about desecrating <laughs> bodies. Doesn't does, doesn't bother him. Uh, you know what? I just cannot play an evil character in D and D. I'll play weird characters, bizarre. You're half orc bard, mm-hmm. and my Gedzerai Avenger would walk out over the room when Deb's elf ranger and Paulette's paladin dragonborn would torture prisoners. Yes, and yeah, we we would. We would still stand beside them afterwards, <laughs> but we would not be in the room when they do it. Conscientious objector? Insane. I don't and I don't ever want to hear anyone ever, ever say that, you know, the, the women will, you know, if women were in charge, there'd be peace or there'd be... <laughs> oh, fuck that. God no, damn. No. <laughs> not with Devin Paul oh, my example. Jesus, there's some torturing, crazy-ass shit going on. Dude, I love playing games with Deb because I just target all my stuff towards her just to piss her right off. <laughs> what? <laughs> it works. It, it's hilarious. Oh, it's so funny. She'll get up and quit. <laughs> what do you mean target, target right stuff? Like, 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 let's say... Um, Play Catan, he'll block her. Oh, we're talking on D and D stuff. Yeah, yeah, board I games, any, any anything, kind of games, yeah. anything where you can like target a player. I'll just get in somebody. I don't way. care if I lose. I'll just like. <laughs> You're playing like me, <laughs> right? So you don't care if you lose, just as long as she doesn't win. She loses first. That's okay. <laughs> and actually, it's not even that so much as she just loses her shit. Mm-hmm. And then, did. and then. I get a bonus. She'll actually beat up Barry because yeah. she can't attack me. <laughs> it's really, so it's like, yes! There, there was one funny time. This was years ago. And it was so goddamn funny because at one point, Barry and I just looked at each other and we just started laughing. And she finally turns and she's like, what is so funny? And he's just like, 
and and of course Barry, this was a couple hours into game night, so Barry was was pretty much in his liquor by then, and he's holding his drink and he's just like laughing and he's like, "Cause you're so angry." <laughs> 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 just... I'm sitting there with a grin on my face. Oh my god, <laughs> it is just, it is damn funny. Uh, what else you do, gent? Well, Nothing what, actually. Uh, I finished two of the books that I talked about last week, uh, and great. Two different versions of hell. Uh, Clive Barker's The Scarlet Gospels, uh, Chuck Palahniuk's Damned. And I was thinking afterwards, which hell would I rather be in of the two? And I have to say, of the two, I have to choose Chuck Palahniuk. And probably not a surprise because Clive Barker, he's a body horror guy through and through. So his hell is full of extended pain and lots of eviscerations Mm -hmm. and and such. Palahniuk is a lot of fun. Palahniuk is a is really gross. I will say that, you know, with deserts of dandruff and uh, swamp of partial birth abortions, uh, the dunes of clipped toenails, you know, that kind of nice. thing. But uh, the difference between the two hells is hope. There's hope inside Chuck's hell. There is no hope in Clive Barker's hell. Without a doubt. And of the two books, I actually enjoyed Chuck Palahniuk's book better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though I'm a huge Clive Barker fan, uh, I don't think this is certainly, this is not his best work. Let me throw one. I assume you've won Red Inferno. Uh, A long time ago, but yes. Okay. I was going to say, where does that fit in those? Between the two. Okay. Between the two. So if if I had to choose hell, Chuck Palahniuk, uh, Dante, then Clive Barker. Okay. Uh, the Clive Barker book was just was not satisfying uh, emotionally. The the characters, even though they're introduced in earlier novels, they just did for some reason just didn't hold together for this one. Hmm. Uh, I felt that there were things out of character that happened. The the human characters really took hell very passively. Like there is plenty of times that even though these characters have dealt with demons before, they none of them has ever stepped foot in hell. But they were strolling through it like it's dangerous, but it will be fine. And they would get like one character gets cut with a, a thick knife like twice, and like never even mentioned again. Almost like the like Clive Barker forgot she was cut. Hmm. Or the character did. There was there was no dressing of it. There was no, and it was obvious that it was a bad cut when it happened. So it just was disjointed. I mean, it was great to see Pinhead in in full hell motion, and his final arc was actually pretty good. But overall, the story was just disappointing. Yeah, I finished it. I enjoyed it to a point, and a very creative because Clive Barker is nothing if not creative. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know much about Clive Barker or Pinhead. What is he? Is he like Satan in Clive Barker's, or he's just a high-ranking demon? Uh, he comes from a group of Cenobites. Cenobites are basically monks of hell. Okay. All right. The, the whole idea behind Hellraiser is there are these little puzzle boxes, and as you get closer to solving them, they, it gives this like jolt of drug-like euphoria as you're solving it. However, once it's solved, it opens up a portal to hell. The Cenobites come in to collect your soul and show you the beautiful pain that you will have in store for you. Okay. And then, and to them, pain is beauty. And there are multiple Cenobites, uh, but the main one is Pinhead. And, but yeah, they're, they're monks, basically. Okay. And uh, yeah, the book was just okay. But Palahniuk, 
the end of this one said to be continued. So I don't know if that's something he actually plans on doing because it's something he could He pl- gave you hope. Hey, maybe that, <laughs> and you know what? Maybe that is it. <laughs> Knowing him, because I really don't yes. see him doing the yes. sequel. Yeah. I really don't. Knowing him, that, that, that's actually, yeah, that's mm. funny. So, but, uh, but it was an adorable story. That It was, uh, like all of Chuck's books, a very, very flawed protagonist and lots of stuff in there to both offend and gross you out. And so he does both of those things well. But uh, yeah, so if I had first time, I could say that I suggest a different novel of hell versus something from Clive Barker. Hmm. Anything else you do, gentlemen? What did you almost do, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> well, I almost went to. Uh, Sorry, everybody. What did I almost do? <laughs> well, you could tell him what you actually did today. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. hello. Oh, yeah, I, I, I had to go see Stan Lee today. That's oh, right. so yeah. oh, there could have been that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's yeah. right. I like uh, how he tosses these things off like he was about to forget it. <laughs> I, I honestly had. I was, I was talking about it before you got here. but um, Yeah, no, they unveiled the Hulkbuster statue in front of Madame Tussauds here in town. And Stan showed up for it. And uh, he's 94 and still pretty spry. Pretty yeah. deaf, but pretty spry. <laughs> you took some video. Took a little video, good to yeah. see. Uh, hell of a looking statue. I saw yeah, pictures. Yeah. But again, Madame Tussauds, what do you expect? It's, now, I'm looking at the thing. It's about 10 feet tall. Okay. I assume that's supposed to be the same size as it is in the movie. I would assume. And I'm, I was staring there, looking at it, about forty minutes, waiting for Stan to arrive because he was late, and thinking to myself, "Where, where is Tony Stark supposed to sit in that thing? Because it's too big for him to sit in it with his legs in there properly." I finally decided he had to be a curled up on a fetal ball in the <laughs> chest compartment because ah. there, there's if you put his legs down there, you know, his his legs would only get down to the top part of the legs. Did you not watch Avengers? I did, but I've forgotten how he did it. Yeah, it's with the Hulkbuster. It's like a little extension, right? He doesn't. It wouldn't yeah, go to the floor. It's like he, there's a big compartment in the back that the uh, that the Iron Man armor merges with. So he's not actually physically controlling the legs. With you know, That's right. he's controlling it through extension. So he is sitting inside the chest. It, no, he's actually in the back. Like it merges in through the back. Okay, yeah, all right. So. Yeah, I but, couldn't yeah. see the back from where I was sitting. So. It's been a while. I need to see that one again. You know what? Same here. I need to go through the whole Avengers because yeah. my memory for movies is not good. <laughs> uh, stuff drops off like crazy. And you're going to need to, I mean, it's not like you'll need to be immersed, but you're going to need to be aware of shit when uh, Infinity Gauntlet and yeah, et cetera right. comes mm-hmm. out. I have an, an Andy-style story. I almost picked up Doctor Strange today, and then I remembered, oh, yeah, I'm waiting to get Marvel Phase 3 like I the did with Phase 1 and Phase set. 2. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you've seen the two. I've taken... Yeah, they're still in the box. Pictures of, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, out of box out. collector. Come on. No, I've taken them out of the boxes. And I then just you like them the look back of, in. I like the look of the boxes. <laughs> the artwork and everything that's on the boxes is the, cool. The cases themselves are better than the box, just so you know. You can always tell which stuff in this room is, is Jeff's versus mine for the most part because Jeff keeps his stuff still in the box. I don't like to lose stuff. <laughs> uh, played a little bit of Watch Dogs 2. Been playing that for a little while. Uh, I like it better than Watch Dogs 1. Watch Dogs 1 did not capture me really at all. It was so boring. Yeah, it, it really was. Literally, it was like they, they, they walk you through the tutorial, and it's like, do this, do that, do this. So you learn how to do the different hacking functions, and it's like... That's to be expected. And then it's like, okay, so where's the story then? Oh, that's the story? Lame. 
What? Just did not want me, me did not engage me the first one. That's what I did. Never mind, go ahead. What oh. Watch Dogs 2 does better than one is not take itself seriously for one. And two, it the feel is almost a throwback to the hackers style of movie of the 90s. Oh god. That so that's movie. kind of the group that you're a part of, so kind of goofy as far as what your group is and what they do to fight the man. But also, I find that kind of endearing, so it, it really does keep me going. And the characters, there are a few that you'd expect to have, but there's one guy that's just a, a, a big-time recluse, super non-social, just can't talk to anybody, but still kind of endearing. And then, of course, the nut who has glasses that are basically LED screens that show the, his emotion. So... <laughs> I'm still playing it after a couple of weeks, and that's more than I can say from the first Watch Dogs. Yeah, I don't so. think you played the first one for more than a week. If that. Yeah, that, that's, that got boring real fast. Yeah, you put it down quickly. And I, this is a lot. This is the prettiness of the city that the first Watch Dogs promised and wasn't. So graphically, it's gorgeous. It's set in San Francisco, and it's, for the most part, a pretty good recreation of. So that's kind of fun to drive around that city, too, and see all the sights. Nice. What did you remember? Uh, I fell in love with my DS again. So I've been ah. playing that. What, what made you fall back? Um, well, Pokemon, obviously. <laughs> God damn And then huh. I was playing uh, Dragon Ball Z. They have a um, Japanese RPG on it that, I've been, that I got, which is hmm. pretty cool. Build your own character, go through the DBZ universe. Ah. It's pretty cool. I never uh, got into Dragon Ball. And the show, it gets, it's like, you know three episodes of you powering up and then you finally get to fight and then this isn't my final form this is my final form three episodes of you powering up <laughs> is that where the final form thing comes from yes okay. oh yeah. my dragon balls okay <laughs> yeah this isn't my final form this is oh son of a bitch fuck okay I'll, I'll power up three more episodes so it's like <laughs> never a lot of episodes of that show like, yeah jesus a uh, couple hundred the, i think it's one of the um isn't it one of the longest running animes pretty sure i have no idea not my bag yeah Japanese I don't know whose bag it is, but yeah. yeah. They go on forever. Japanese <clears throat> anime is the inverse of a uh, British uh, TV series. <laughs> yeah, really. Speaking of uh, Dragon Ball, it makes me think of uh, Pokemon because there's uh, that funny meme where uh, Trump had all of those black congressional civil <laughs> business leaders oh, in the oh, yeah. office and Kellyanne Conway is sitting, sitting on her legs on the couch. Yeah. Like a and kid. <laughs> there's one shot that didn't get as popular where she's actually taking a picture of the group from her position. And somebody did a genius thing. They zeroed in on her screen and put in a little Pokemon. <laughs> and the caption reads, Oh, shit, Chartermaine in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoever made that should have put Jinx. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I'm still playing that, by the way, and having a good time with it. This new uh, Pokemon Go. Yeah, it's a new update with a whole bunch of new creatures out there, and I don't know anything about the TV show, so I like, oh, new monsters! Like, yeah, that does do that matter. Do you, are you one of the guys at like 2 a.m. at the park? Um, I will leave here and not by not the park. for Pokemon, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, it's, it's Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny during the game. During the game, that his phone is just like bling 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 with all these notifications. And at one point, he's like, yeah, where the hell were you that you got your ass kicked? You were like, yeah, I was out by uh, blah, blah, oh, blah. When your gym got taken. That's yeah, right. bastards. <laughs> His gym got taken. I got myself into a, I fought myself into a huge uh, hole. I got, I, by 
Are you talking I, about I, a date now? No. Oh. But uh, I, I kept fighting until my, a bunch of my guys were down, knocked out. So I have like like 25 characters that I have to revive at this point. I have to oh, find wow. crystals to revive to get this, to capture this level seven gym so I could be in that gym and just raking in the money from it. And But within two hours, somebody took over the gym from another team. What team I, are I you? Don't know. I have no idea what he's talking about right now. <laughs> Basically, the PvP aspect of the game is... Have you ever watched the show? No? No. Okay. Well, Dumb I, guy talk, Matt. Dumb guy. Okay. <laughs> Dumb it down for us. Okay. Gyms are like the boss le- uh, like boss levels in the show. Like, I gotta fight this guy, and then okay. I get my badge, and then I get to the next gym. And blah. In this, you fight other players. Okay. So, his Pokemon hold a gym. He can sit there and see in real time if someone's fighting him. He doesn't control. His Actually, I can't see him fighting me, but I, I know when they've taken it over because my guy. Stops. Well, there's little like little like it's like a cage match that you're not in. Shit. You can tell when someone's attacking your gym, right? And you get the currency in the game while holding a gym, right? And then you can use the currency to buy more Pokeballs and extra room for more need to Pokemon. Do it, yeah. yeah, of course. I never played it long enough to even get to the gym. Mm. You got to be to level five, I think. Before yeah, you I do think gyms. I went to four, and then yeah. I was like, I'm kind of done now. Which is funny because you actually have a phone that's powerful enough to play that now. So, <laughs> oh yeah, I got the phone to play it. No, that's not the reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here, let's do a little email, gentlemen. Hello, my geeky overlords. The geek world is a vast, ever-expanding landscape, full of both good and bad adventures, which makes it the perfect place to try something new. You guys have gotten me to watch, read, and buy things I never thought I'd enjoy and now wouldn't want to live without. One such example is horror fiction. I never enjoyed horror movies or books. In fact, I would actively avoid the genre entirely, uh, like a child who says, I hate broccoli, even though he or she never actually tried it, partially because I'm easily startled by by broccoli. Uh, However, the loving way that Master Torgo would discuss horror novels he had read convinced me to give one a try. I started with Mr. Be Gone by Clive Barker. Yes, that is the Clive Barker book you want to read. That's a great novel. As silly as it sounds, it was a life-changing read in that book. To find a new portion of the geek world, to dive into it and explore, I call it my moment of geek shock therapy, where I was suddenly jolted into a new mindset. Patent pending. I followed it up with Books of Blood by Barker Bird Box and have numerous others on my bookshelf waiting to be read. So he's going through the bees. Yes, he's in the bees category. So Uh, so my question to you all is this. What's something that you always disliked for no good reason, but then, once you finally tried it, you couldn't believe you'd been denying yourself this joy? Your your loyal shock monkey, Jeffy Roth. Uh, For me... Uh, let's go back to video games. It was the MOBA um, genre of games. Oh. So DO, DOTA, the original DOTA. I had heard... Is that uh, Defenders of the Ancients or something? Yeah, like that? Okay. from uh, Warcraft 3 mod or whatever it was. And I heard through friends, oh, this is fucking bullshit. Uh, the, the player base is toxic, which everyone... I've heard plenty of. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm going to stay away from it. So two years go by, I finally play it. Next thing I know, I'm like two days in. <laughs> like oh, I gotta go to work, like wow. shit like that. It's a lot of fun once once I got into it. But that would be the only thing at this point because I like to try everything. Good, <laughs> put an asterisk there within reason. <laughs> yes, okay, <laughs> within reason. But I usually like I'll try food. I don't care what it is. Like, yeah. So 
there's not many things that that question applies to me. So use that's interesting because that could actually be potential on me because I have stayed away from MOBAs for that reason. I haven't tried them and I kind of dislike them internally as of never trying them. Yeah. So, so, so I'm still where you were. Yeah. So, wow. Hmm. That's the only thing I could come up with because I try do everything once at least. So you and I, that, that's, that's something we share. No, you do like, Anything. hey, look, there's a ukulele carnival. I'm going to go to that. I, see, I, I, I stay ukulele. away from <laughs> I would go to a ukulele carnival. Yeah, there's Andy, Andy's problem with that is there's not do, really anything yeah. he, would, uh, he would hate out of hand. Um, I, I actually did have to rack my brain when you guys mentioned it, when you sent this thing. Um, I did think of something, though. Okay. And it's, it's caricature. Really? Yeah, I, I, you know, thumb my nose. I looked down my nose at uh, at a uh, at a uh, live caricature uh, hmm. for a long time. You know, everyone sees me like, yeah, I'm a fine artist. I'm a, oh, I'm, a, actually, I'm a real cartoonist. I don't have to sit on the street and do this shit. <laughs> oh, like your, actually drawing them as opposed to <laughs> yeah. just, okay, I got yeah. you. Now that's your bread and butter now. And I love it. Well, absolutely love doing it. Well, because you one of the the key points of it is something you love to do, which is getting to know people. It's true. You really do like diving into people, asking questions and learning Mm -hmm. about them. Yep. That makes all the sense. Yeah. And, and I, and I love experiencing the different faces and trying to find stuff in them. But yeah, the definitely the getting to know people helps too. Yeah. Well, here's one that might be surprising to y'all. Science fiction novels. Wow, yeah. that is surprising. Growing up, I, I wouldn't touch them, didn't care about them. Uh, I've read a lot of fantasy, which I've really tapered off a lot lately. Uh, and, of course, a lot of horror that's always been there. But science fiction, I would not touch it. In fact, uh, I mean, I read a few what I don't really consider science fiction because they're crossover novels, Star Wars, Star Trek. You know, they're just more of the same what I saw on the show. But like an independent I would say the first science fiction novel that I had read um, was Red Shirts, the one that you gave me, uh, Kirsten. Wow. And Wow. Yeah. And I broke him. You did. You did. And, and I love that book. If you, if, if, if you want to approach John Scalzi, I'd definitely say try Red Shirts. It's so well written, so much fun. Yeah, it, when it, was that? That was, uh, what, five years, six years Something ago? Something like that, yeah. So yeah. is there a whole bunch of like Heinlein and, and Clark and all that yeah, stuff you dude, caught yeah. up on yet? Yeah. Dude, you think he's bad with like, you know, only saw Blade Runner a few years ago <laughs> oh, or something? Welcome to sci-fi Books. realm and me, yeah. Yeah. In fact, my going forward saying, you know what, I obviously like this, I'm going to start exploring it further now, was with the Expanse novels. Right. And that's, that's where, I, that's, that's when it blew up my mind. I was like, okay, I really like this. Then I went into... Uh, Clark's Childhood End and started going to classics. And then when we started the book club, we did Haldeman's Forever War. And I'm like, yeah, this is a genre I've really have not explored. Well, there's a lot of shit. Have you read my favorite so far, the Foundation? I have still, and I I have them now, but I have not read them. But I look forward to that. Red Mars, I want to read that. How about Ellison? Uh, Harlan Ellison, I've really only read what I consider more of his horror star- stories. Yeah, and he's he he doesn't even do a lot of novels. He has a metric shit ton of anthologies because right. he's a short story writer. Right. But and he thinks of himself not as a science fiction writer, but as a speculative fiction sure. writer, yeah. or even as a just a writer. Yeah, he yeah, I think of him more like, as like a darker Twilight Zone. Yeah, okay. the, <clears throat> yeah, there he's writer. got a few horror, and they get kind of science fiction because he does kind of like you know 
flow between genres and mm-hmm. he's got a few boy i can hardly wait for you to actually read him some because they'd be they're great discussions i have no mouth and i'm gonna scream you read that i have not but i'm very i'm familiar oh, with it because of the man. video game adaptation yeah. from the early 90s so i that is creeptastic I know the basic story. It's like an AI that's keeping and experimenting on people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's, my favorite. That sounds like a horror novel to me. My favorite is Islets of Langer Hands, and it, it's like a long title. Okay. Very difficult, but it basically is Larry Talbot going to Victor Frankenstein to finally cure his werewolfism. Nice. And it's actually intensely psychological, huh? As well as. Uh, Science fictional, but it, it's wow, yeah, yeah. He did a thing called From A to Z in the Chocolate Alphabet, where he just went through the alphabet and did a story for each letter. Okay, and that, it, that sounds like something he'd do. And they're really short. I think that might be one he did. He not. did that in a storefront window. He yeah. was sitting at a little manual in a, in a folding chair with a card table in a science fiction storefront window. And it was just watch Harlan Ellison write <laughs> short stories. And he just letter A. Wow. Letter B. I would travel to watch that. Yeah. But so, the, but in that one, there is a story called Elevator People that is like two paragraphs long and is creeptastic in two paragraphs. I like name creeps me it, out it, alone. It'll make you be very nervous about going in elevators. Like I'm not already. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so, and I, so Shock Monkeys, those that have been suggesting sci-fi in the book club and successfully i might add i really appreciate what you've put forward it's it's expanded me even further so thank you uh anything else on this subject gentlemen jeff did you have i i couldn't think of anything because uh i'll dabble in a lot of geeky things just to see if it's you know a fit or not we're a pretty Uh, voracious bunch i mean i can be a stickler like i'm i i'm kind of the opposite of torgo is in like I've never gotten heavy into fantasy stuff, but I love science fiction. But I still will dabble in the occasional uh, fantasy novel if somebody says, oh, you got to read this. Or like, like, for instance, when Harry Potter first came out and there was the big craze, I'm like, oh, let me see what this is all about. I read the first book and I was just like, eh. You know, I could see the potential for why people would like it, but I just knew it wasn't for me. So, yeah, but I at least gave it a shot. And sure. I've, I've been told many times, like, oh, you got to read the rest of the books. Books are better. Book, the rest <laughs> of the books are better. And I'm like, as much as I just, agree with that, if you're not caught on that yeah, first one. It's yeah. just that, that particular world is not something that I find appealing, which is odd because I am going to World of Harry Potter in Orlando soon. So I was so but, caught uh, up in those books. Oh, I, yeah. I remember going to Comic-Con when the yes. last one came out. Yes. And I was staying up like 3 and 4 in the morning and then having to get up at 7, seven to go yes. to Comic-Con. I was wiped. Yeah. But I would not put that book down. Paulette actually read two or three of them in one day. What? Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was I like, remember oh, my God. I, I Especially the like four onwards. Those are big. Yeah. And she, still in the same position, different book. I was like, how many of those have you read? She's like, oh, book, whatever. I'm like, holy <laughs> wow i remember that at con too because like i remember being so wiped and i'm just like lying and like oh, okay and you're like i'm gonna try to read a chapter two to relax <laughs> and i'm like just remember we've only got like six hours you're like oh i'm just gonna read a couple chapters and go to bed and then like the next morning he's like 
So uh, I slept like an hour last night. <laughs> I, I read, fell asleep, got up, and I'm like, I have to read like two or three more chapters. And yeah, it was crazy. I remember wow. those days. That was fun. Uh, that's when you know you've got a book. You've got a book if you can't sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love her Twitter. She's a... She's a smart little cookie. I got damn. She, she, she is clever. She pulls out the blade and goes yes, to work does. on those people when uh, they, they climb on her. Um, <laughs> I, You know, these questions are tough for me. This is a lot like your favorite things things because my mind, for some reason, tends to blank. Sure. And took I, me a while. I, you know, I kind of, and I contemplated doing what I did before. It was like, okay, you guys tell me, what did I, you know, hate that I came to love, if it came, and, but then I remembered something. This goes way back, decades, and it was uh, Sandman. Oh, Neil oh. Gaiman Sandman. Because uh, for me, I, I, you know, occasionally I'd see the occasional non-genre uh, comic, you know. I'd read westerns. Uh, I might read a crime comic or two, but it was mostly superheroes. And people are recommending Sandman left and right. And I tried to read, somebody said, try A Doll's House. And I tried reading it, and I was just like, God damn, this shit is just so boring. So I had to go a few years and get my mind out of the action mindset. And then I started Sandman right from the very beginning. And at that point, it was a perfect fit because, one, as a kid, I loved mythology. And, two, I love fantasy now. And I think that uh, Gaiman is one of the few people who really, really, really get fantasy and mythology. In fact, he's got a new book out called Norse Mythology, which I'm, I'm, I can hardly wait till I get the money to buy. I want to get that real bad. But I finally got started on Sandman. And I still remember, I forget, the, it might have been Doll's House, ironically. I forget the story exactly. But there's this one woman who is a witch of an old tradition from Greece. And somebody tries to kill somebody and she has to figure out what's going on. So she cuts the guy's face off, tacks it to the wall right. to interview him, to you know do, a, do a, essentially a speak with dead spell. And at that point, I was like, ah, and I, and then it won me over. And then I read the whole series. Yeah, was crushed when you know he ended, and but then you know pick up the little pickup stories that he would do. Um, you know, Midsummer's, uh, the Midsummer Night's Dream one, yeah. his uh, Arabian Nights one. Um, Jesus, they're all you know they're yeah, all amazing. Yeah. And then of course. That just opened up things, you know, the, the pre-Harry Potter, Harry Potter, uh, Books of Magic. Right, with oh, Tim right. Power? Tim Hunter. Tim Hunter. Tim Hunter, who looks amazingly like Harry Potter yes. beforehand. <laughs> but, um, you know, that, that all just became, that it, then it became really amazing. Yeah. They were having so. trouble. I was working in a comic shop when those were out, and they were having get, trouble getting people to read those. And he, I think he intentionally wrote issues seven or eight, the, the one with the uh, first appearance of death mm. to be a sort of standalone thing and push that at people. Right. And that worked. I mean, that, that was, that was a lot of people's jumping on point was that, that people love death and that that's great character. Yeah. In the graphic novel, in the uh, graphic novel, that's the last story in the first graphic novel now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, good call, the Sandman. Man. Yeah, so yeah, that was that was a big turn because I had a hard time. Like, what in the hell have I hated that you know that I love that I hated or wouldn't? And I had to dig around, but yeah, I'll I'll definitely go with that. Mm. So, and it it was changing. It was a big, I would call it you know kind of perspective changing, life changing thing. No, so this this is a perfect segue talking books and then Neil Gaiman because the book club book for March is Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett's Good Omens. That has won out on the voting, and so that is the book for March. So we will start talking about that on March 8th. Of course, read the book at your own pace and join us when you're ready. Went out by a lot, right? Uh, by two votes. Oh, that's all? Yeah, between oh, that I... and Cory Doctorow's Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom. They were oh, they were okay. real neck and neck for a little while. So the Electoral College isn't going to overturn the popular vote there? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> we're not assholes. <laughs> Uh, so, I, and I'm so glad I was chosen, even because I have not read this book, and I've this is a book that has been in and out of my library, I would say now for two decades, and I haven't touched it yet. So, this forces me to move into this book. So, and of course, it's being made into a show. So we talked about that. So, right. So that I love to read a book before the show comes out. So, I'm happy for that too. So, good call, monkeys. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't appeal to you, join us at the end of the of March. We'll choose the book for April. Gentlemen, this guy got so much news. I have nine pages right here, and we are not going to get anywhere close to nine pages. We never do. But that's how much stuff we have. But first. No. You know you gotta. No, 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 no. News you don't give a shit about. You bastard. I'm the- leaving. <laughs> <laughs> The Kentucky Police Department. Already don't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) Has decided to remove Punisher logos from police cars. Oh, that, yeah. After concerned residents pointed out that the Marvel Comics character is pretty much a murderer who operates outside the law. Yeah. The Lexington Herald leader reports the Catholic... Catlettsburg Police Department in Eastern Kentucky added some Punisher skull decals to some cop cars in their fleet designed to promote the Blue Lives Matter movement. What a what a great combination. Oh yeah. The decision follows a statewide push for Blue Lives Matter along with a proposed bill that would make it a hate crime in the state to attack a police officer. The designs were approved by the local mayor and city council and paid for with taxpayer dollars. Apparently, no one in this lengthy chain of responsibility had ever read a Punisher comic book. Uh, following a litany of complaints from residents, the city opted to remove the logos. Or, yeah. or heard of the concept of copyright infringement. <laughs> yes. God, we need to get more geeks into politics. Mm. <laughs> it's like, amazing. Hey, uh, hey assholes, uh, you know he's an anti-hero, right? <laughs> Punisher? He's, just actually, just he's actually hated by cops. Yeah. Because yeah. he mows down corrupt cops like crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's um it's also interesting because uh, Mike Cole, uh, he's an author of some good uh, military sci-fi, the the Control Point series. I've I've mentioned him. Um, military fantasy, actually, contemporary military fantasy. Okay, and his stuff has been described as X Men meets Black Hawk Down. Huh. He's a former uh, he's a former military contractor as well as worked in the Coast Guard, and now he's working. In um, uh, in New York City, w- with law enforcement, and uh, he recently appeared actually in this new TV series called Hunted, which is about uh, people trying to stay off the grid, and it's sort of like a contest. 
people have to stay off the grid and vanish while a group of professionals whose job is to go chasing down people who try to vanish. um, That's interesting. Yeah, or go after them. And it's a reality show. And he uh, plays, he is the cyber uh, warfare guy. So he's the one who, you know, tracks your ATMs and tracks your cell phone calls and goes through everything to try to find you. Um, But he actually posted in response to the whole Punisher logo thing that his in his units that he ran in law enforcement, he actually never, ever let them have any. I forget the term you use. It was not it wasn't like Rambo icons, but it was something like that. You know, kill murder icons because he was like, you know, it was always to remind the unit. Our first credo is to protect and serve, not go out and kill. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Oh, wow. Yeah. News you don't give a shit about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before I do that, you you mentioned the uh, the fantasy military. Yeah, guy. I read a book not that long ago by a guy named Weston Oaks. I met him at the uh, Stoker Con. Uh, he has a series of books, uh, the Grunt series, and Grunt Life was the one, and it's a military sci-fi book. It was really really good. What really captured it to my imagination is. One, it was a very dire book when it came down to it. And the grunts that he had are all sufferers of PTSD. That that he made PTSD sufferers the hero of this story. That because of the way that their minds worked from the, uh, the affliction, that they were immune to the mind control powers of the aliens that were attacking. Oh, that's interesting. And so you had a group of people that were usually caught just before or in the middle of an attempt of suicide and basically pulled them into the secret group before the world just turns to shit when the aliens invade and they're the only group that can really stop it. Mm. So there's a few books in the series now, nice. but, uh, but really it was good. Weston Oaks, I highly recommend it. Grunt, <laughs> Grunt Life was the first book. But that, when you said that, that reminded me of it. But no, no, we are talking dudes you don't give a shit about. <laughs> so, so. Oh, yeah. Vlad Dracula. King of the Vampires is making another resurrection on television Mm. with the announcement of Dracula Now, a new modern retelling of the original gothic horror story by Bram Stoker. This new take, I should put in quotes, I guess, is based on Macht Mirkrana. That translates to Powers of Darkness, a political retooling of the legend written by Icelandic author Vladimir Asmundsen in 1900. So that's three years after the Stoker novel was published. He rewrote the book? Yes. That's bizarre. Right? Uh, This revamped Dracula will be a tyrannical Transylvanian schemer bent on taking over Europe in a 10-episode TV series being written by Icelandic screenwriter Otto Greer Borg, Hmm. who did a show called Undercut. Uh, quote, Dracula Now will be an allegory of what's happening today in the U.S., in the U.K., and in France. What's he talking about? Said Los Angeles-based Sigvassassassen, who runs... You just picked this because of the names. Who runs Scanbox with Thor Sigurdsson and Chris Biggs. Quote... You just threw that last one in there to save you. That's what he says. It won't be like a Dracula spinoff because there's no need for that. 
Dracula Now will explore the idea of Dracula as a dictator forging a reign of blood to control people in today's world, unquote. You're right. I don't give a shit about that one. <laughs> Dracula Now. Yeah. I uh, Walking Dead, I'll give, because that's an ongoing story, but I'm really, I'm done with zombies. I'm done with vampires, I think, at least for a good while. That That's... that's Overplayed. I, I read a zombie novel not that long ago, considered to be one of the better ones that's out there now, Day by Day, Armageddon. And by the end of it, I was like, this is just all more of the same of the stuff that we've been watching for the last 10, 15 years. Mm. Zombies are so done for me. And yep. I'm sure I'm sure there's there's some great spins out there, which I'll take. But right. man, that the traditional might, zombie might story, need, I'm done with it. Might need a zombie break. Yeah, and vampires too, and especially vampires, going back to vampires Dracula. have always been over and overdone. I've so few vampires for as I actually give a damn about. So what's next then? Wolfman, Mummy, and I never cared for the Wolfman to begin uh, with. No, he was always my favorite. Was he your favorite? Yeah. Usually, have uh, werewolf novels I'll pass by left and right. Maybe that's my my uh, my next pre pre judging thing. <laughs> well, the tricky part with the werewolf thing is that it. it it has nards. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and they got bitten. Um, you know, boom, no, it's just, it's a, the, the world. The world was almost always a tragic figure. They're smart, you know, a smart enough person with who's come to the world knows enough to lock themselves up or find some way to get locked up during the full moon. And it always have you have to have some other villain in there who's going to release him during the full moon. So you just it always gets weirdly complicated. You don't just have the the monster genre itself. Sure. And, and so many werewolf stories that I see anymore seem to be a werewolf as superhero. Mm-hmm. So where they're, they've they've got a hold on their ability, and when they wolf out, they become the superhero that the that yeah. the U- United States needs for their mm-hmm. military. I wonder how much uh, White Wolf's uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse game series had to do with that. Because Vampire started off, Vampire the Masquerade was the first one they did, and that was the whole tragic, gothic Right, an emo vampire thing. Boy, that was huge when I was in college. Yeah, you know, and yeah. then Werewolf the Apocalypse. Uh, the werewolfism was you was sort of embraced uh, because you were actually the werewolves were actually fighting. It was almost they were they were e- the good guys. They were eco warriors yeah. fighting a a the worm, which was to destroy slowly destroying the world ecologically. So they were like Mother Earth's uh, a way of uh, attacking that kind of scourge. So, and I wonder, I mean, you know, we had like a Marvel in the 1970s when they did their horror comics had Werewolf by Night. Mm-hmm. And that werewolf guy eventually became kind of like a superhero. So, But I wonder how, where, where along the timeline the werewolf as hero sort of came about. And those, it is there. Sure. And there, those White Wolf games really expand. I think Mage was my favorite mm-hmm. in that Mage one. was very cool. Just, I don't think I played a single game of Mage, but I just loved this rule book and the concepts behind yes. it. Yeah, yeah, they did a great job that. News you don't give a shit about. Mm-hmm. Papa John's. It's a Better pizza? Better <laughs> whatever? Fuck, I don't care. Yeah, I'll argue <laughs> that one. Uh, Papa John's is willing to bet you'd pay extra to prioritize your pizza ahead of the rest of the crowd. Are you sick? Oh, what? boy. Papa oh, John's fuck. is testing a $2.99 Papa Priority fee in a few markets with the possibility of expanding. 
In the section on the restaurant site that explains Papa Priority, the chain justifies the fee by explaining that the company recognizes, quote, there might be some situations where you would like your pizza a little faster on the busy nights when there might be a longer wait due to a number of orders at the restaurant, unquote. For now, the extra fee of $2.99, but that could change in the future. Uh, what the chain promises is that if you pay up, your pizza will be, quote, made faster and out for delivery sooner, unquote, subject to terms and conditions. Uh, the customers in the early test markets don't really see the logic, especially when there's already a delivery fee on every order. Uh, priority status also isn't a guarantee that your pizza will show up by a certain time. Oh, well, Jeff. Priority yeah, status know, right? <laughs> is officially capped at five orders per location per day. Five orders. That's funny. Uh, this is almost a nice little allegory for net neutrality. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, here you go. Uh, you know what, Papa John's? I'll, I'll pay a little extra for your pizzas. For you to give health care insurance oh, to yeah. your employees, hey, douchebag. Yeah. Papa John's, asshole. Um, and also, I have to think that Heart. if you're paying that extra, I, I wonder how many people take it out on the delivery driver on the tip. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I bet they do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they already, uh, a lot of people don't tip the drivers because they think that $2.50 delivery fee is for the driver. for the driver. It goes to the restaurant. Yeah. It doesn't cover anything. Right. As does this fee. This fee does yeah. not go to anybody exactly. but the restaurant. So, yeah. So, yeah, the poor drivers are probably going to get screwed over again. I've gotten really bad lately where I've stopped tipping people. I should really get out of that. <laughs> yeah, perhaps just, you should. Just because. Yeah, you, know you, you know you live in Las Vegas, right? <laughs> no, I mean, I tip restaurant waiters and things like that. I, I mean, like, pizza drivers, um, like Capriotti guy, like the guy who just takes my order. He doesn't even make the fucking sub. The other guys do. Are you talking like the tip cup at, yeah, uh, yeah. at like Starbucks? Like I, I can get that, I guess. But you know, I'll drop. But you know, tip your damn delivery. Driver. I don't know. When I go to Capriati's, Lord, they man. usually rotate like one guy's up taking the orders and then and I bet they making split those sandwiches. Tips. Yeah, oh, yeah, that, that cup gets split. Hey, I didn't get that far yes, in the logic, buddy. okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just saw the jar and he's like, fuck this shit. And he took it. <laughs> yes. They didn't make me tip at Tim Hortons. And the Capriati's people well, call... We, we, don't, we don't really tip in Canada. Right. Because... Just living that. wages. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. actually there's no uh, need to tip. What the who is that guy? The guy ruins everything. Adam ruins Adam everything. Ruins everything. Uh, yeah. Yes, he has a really good oh, yeah. thing on tipping, and it's like, yeah, it really is. It's yeah. a really good thing, and and it's funny because he actually says right out the front, he's like, no, I'm not saying you shouldn't tip because you absolutely should, but this is why tipping doesn't work, and this is why you know it is what it is right now. Why well, tipping is a terrible idea, and we should get rid of it and just pay people yeah. what they're worth. Well, yeah, yeah. In fact, they, they point out that in the restaurants that have experimented with paying their servers a living wage and uh, eliminating tipping, they've had happier customers, they've had better profits, and, uh, you know, overall service was better. So. Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny. I would hear about that, like, in Japan, it's actually considered rude to tip yeah. because the, the Japanese servers, you know, the whole restaurant staff are proud of their work, and they get paid a living wage. And it's really funny because it's just like, for me, it's almost like, Oh man, just you know, you don't tip your how much? How much are they making? How can you live off of that at all? I can't even. For me, the underpaid server is such a staple of sure. of economics. I can't imagine it any other way. Well, I just got into a, a healthy debate about this with uh, a friend on Facebook the other day because she was she was just, just like that's you know what that's it the top 
Fifteen percent is the top tip I'm ever going to give anybody. Period. Because I just I don't feel like I should be subsidizing. Really, Andy? <laughs> Andy got up and moved, folks. Just so you know, and ripped the cord right out of the machine. All right. Took half the electronics with him. And, and prior to us starting, he uh, he ripped my headphones out of the uh, the socket too. So he's. Uh, Still got it, folks. I think in that chair we're going to have a pressure sensor so that when he starts to get up or something, we're all, war- we're all warned. Yeah, yeah. I'd say we have to get him wireless, except that he trips over other people's stuff. So it's you're doomed. But so, anyway, Jeff. So the, the debate was on, you know, why she should have to subsidize, you know, somebody's living wage when it just should just be, you know, people paying a living wage to servers and i said well i agree with you on that they should pay us living wage however this is why you know tips have gone up to 20 percent on and, average and fucking restaurant people are not going to oh geez i guess we better pay our people a living wage because people have stopped tipping yeah they're not gonna sit <laughs> yeah. there and be like oh well, well that, golly that was that was the end result of the the thing i said i pointed out i said look you're welcome to tip what you feel is appropriate however just realize that you are punishing the workers for a belief that is never going to change. They're never going to change the mind of the restaurant owners and the big business people that have kept, I don't know if many people know this, $2.13 is the tipped employee federal minimum wage. And there's only two or three states out of 50 here in the U.S. that have a minimum wage uh, law that supersedes that 213 and makes it the standard minimum wage. And I think, yeah, I think so, that's even stupid. And I that mean, has not gone up no. in like 35 years. Yeah, it, and, and and it's ridiculous because it's like, I, I, Jesus, we can't pay servers minimum wage and let them collect tips because the job is hard. Oh, yeah. Even for, uh, even for the, what is it now, 875? Yeah. Whatever yeah. the federal mandated wage is, even that is fucking too low for servers. Yeah. It's it's below the poverty line if you're Stupid. on minimum wage. But yeah, that's that's really what it comes down to, folks. That's you know, unfortunately, why tipping is necessary is that you're you're paying a far less you're getting a far less than minimum wage if you're an employee. You still have to pay taxes on your tips, which many times means you get a zero dollar paycheck, um, and it's. It's yeah. terrible. When I, I mean, was leaving uh, where I lived in Canada in 2012, they were talking about up to $12, in between 12 and $15 an hour. That was minimum wage. And I believe that yeah, that's Canadian money. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You cut me yeah. off, Andy. Yeah. You totally ninja'd me. You, you, you get as much as you want, just buy another box of Monopoly. You're yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> So this gets back to a conversation we had on uh, Shock Monkey's Lair. The ladies love hot economics talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I mean, you know, the government's never going to raise that minimum wage for tipped employees. <laughs> not for the know. next eight years. Yeah, 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 now what the fascists are in charge. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, that's what's coming, people. <laughs> Accept it now. News you don't give a shit about. God damn you. On again, off again, and on again. Not your night. Um... Warner Brothers has officially landed Matt Reeves, the guy that we've been talking about that was going to direct the Batman. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's back on again after not being a part of it last week, oh. after being a part of it the week prior. Oh, okay. Yeah, last week he was off the project. Now he's officially taking the reins of the Batman. 
And now the studio is looking to launch a whole new Batman-adjacent property to go along with it. Ah, uh, yes. Warner Brothers is eyeing a live-action version of Nightwing, which will focus on Dick Grayson's heroic alter ego. Studio is courting Chris McKay, who did the Lego Batman movie, to helm the project. Script is being written by Bill Dubuque, who did The Accountant. Uh, We already know there has been some Robins in Batflex's past, largely due to the defaced Robin suit in the Batcave, which likely belonged to a different Robin, Jason Todd, who was killed by the Joker in the comics. So it stands to reason there could be an adult Grayson out there roaming the streets and taking out bad guys. Now, looking to the comics... Nightwing has become a prominent hero in his own right, leading the Teen Titans, setting up shop in the city of Bloodhaven. If Warner Brothers is looking to expand its team approach beyond Justice League, introducing Grayson could be an easy doorway to set up uh, the DCEU version of the Teen Titans. Project's one of several potential new DC projects in the works at Warner Brothers, along with Gotham, Gotham City Sirens and a Deadshot spinoff, not to mention the ones already announced, The Flash, Green Lantern Corps, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Batman, etc. But Jason Todd didn't die. He became the Red Hood. Oops. Oh, spoiler! Oops, spoiler. Oh, spoilers. Sorry. He did die. <laughs> yeah, he just got thrown he into was, Lazarus. He was thrown pit. into the Lazarus yeah. pit. Ah, uh, yes. Great, uh, great idea. Well, it depends actually. on which version, yeah, that you... Do you think it's a good idea to do the Dick Grayson story without Robin? Whatever. I think you can do it off camera, and it's fine. I think, I think they'll do it with flashbacks. They'll like do flashbacks of well. Robin I days. don't know if they do that, or you know. I mean, that's how maybe that's how they'll have Batflag appear in Nightwing, right? Well, that's how they did it on an Arrow with him flashing back to yeah, because being on the island and stuff. So. Um, it's it's really it's really weird because I think to do Robin proper, you got to hit that right age zone. Like, I felt Chris O'Donnell was too old yeah. Yeah. for what they were doing, but at the same time... And he was only in his 20s, too. When they, yeah. 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 And, but at the same time, if you do an actual Robin from when Robin, his actual age in the comics, when he first appeared... He's, what, 12? Yeah, that's 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 right. weirdly so, too young. Yeah. So you got this weird zone. Where do you have him exactly? 14. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't wasn't, have uh, it. The, kid, the teen sidekick is just a weird leftover from the forties. Yeah, really and, and, uh, and, and it's and it's it's it. You know, I'm not even going to go into like you know, were them nonsense. It's just it's just a, the overall thing is just kind of weird because it really was a whole endangering a child. Yeah, and the kids look, kids don't imagine you're Batman. Imagine you're Batman's friend, and it's like, why not imagine you're Batman? Mm-hmm. That's the thing that always gets me about that stupid stuff. You know, we got to have someone the audience relates to. Your fucking protagonist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why not make him the relate? You know, so, so at that point for me, Nightwing was a great uh, move on the part of DC, Marv Wolfman, and D- George Perez, who uh, who oversaw that because he came into his own. He became his own hero. I think any Robin story is going to be weird and flawed. Whereas a Nightwing story is fine. There's something about um, having Batman as a mentor and how that fucks you up. Yeah, that's sure. interesting. Mm-hmm. But Absolutely. There's yeah. something with the weird dark Batman stuff and a any teen sidekick <laughs> is just what the. <laughs> Especially if you're going as dark as the Snyderverse. Right. So. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's really weird because, to be perfectly honest, Miller's Dark Knight Returns with that girl that yeah, actually. That's- Worked for me. Yeah. That actually... And she was young, too. She was like... 12, 13, she was a kid. something like that. She, she was, was a kid. She was a kid. And But it that 
that really did work for me. That character, I like Carrie, and 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 the whole thing just worked. It was really really funny, and and Miller did a great job. I mean, he had that whole scene where Batman was actually in trouble. And he's doing this whole, you know, where are you, Dick? Well, you know, you know, this is where you would come. And then she comes in and helps his ass out. And it was just, it was, it was magnificently done. Right. But, you know, looking back on it, you, you definitely look through the lens of a comic book, and putting that on film. Mm-hmm. We've discussed have the balls to put the comic on film. So I won't say it's impossible. But boy, oh boy, is it weird. And I think Andy had said, do Nightwing and talk about what what that's all like post-mentorship. Mm-hmm. You know, once you broke, cut the apron strings and moved out. Yeah, maybe there's something there. Weekend Geek! Yay! Suffering from chronic knee and back pain, Peter Mayhew shared the Chewbacca acting duties on J.J. Abrams' Star Wars The Force Awakens with Finnish basketball player Junis Sutamo. I think. I bet it's you. How's it spelled? S U O T A M O. No, the first name. J O O N A S. I bet that's a that's a. I a think you scan through the news and look Jonas. for for I, articles with the worst names to try. I to don't pronounce. control people's names, people. This this is this is who they are. No, I'm and saying I can't I think, speak them. I think you cherry pick the news stories just looking for ones with difficult names to pronounce. Master Torgo. Right, do you just mash like go to a Google search and just mash the keyboard and the see name. if something pops up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. It's all Scandinavian Icelandic right. stories. <laughs> anyway, you were this is, saying this is why so. I don't usually do Icelandic stories. That's why that one was special. Oh yeah, you you wean out the Icelandic stories usually. It's good to know. <laughs> As an ever-growing number of Star Wars spin-off films and sequels are f- uh, filling the Disney created pipeline, Lucasfilm has officially given the gig to the six-foot-ten Sutamo, a full-time and gently retired Mayhew's beloved portrayal of Chewbacca. Humbled and most appreciative of the opportunity to continue his chewy work in the galaxy far, far away, Suatamo posted a touching letter to Twitter honoring the legacy and mentorship of Mayhew. Peter Mayhew can be seen in his final Chewbacca performance this December in Ryan Johnson's Star Wars The Last Jedi, followed by Juna Suatamo's first full appearance in the suit in the Han Solo spinoff movie in 2018. Ah, okay. So the passing of the torch well, is and official. That, I mean, I mean that, he's 74 years yeah. old. And that also yeah. makes sense because, you know, you got the whole young cast thing. So Chewie, well, he's in a big old suit and everything, but you get a young Chewie guy too. Sure. Well, yeah, and I've, I've seen him in person a few times, and he does have a very difficult time getting around mm-hmm. now. Sure. I mean, just like some t- he got out of his chair to take pictures with some people at star trek con shoot i think two years ago and you could tell he was in pain getting up but he still you know got out from you know got up from the chair got out from behind the table to take pictures with people and you know it was just very evident that yeah. well, i was, remember it was tough for seeing him richard keel at that yeah. last con mm-hmm. just months before he died and yeah Ooh, same thing boy. Those tall guys have it rough when they get old. Yeah, well, the uh, you you may even have it in your news items. The guy who played the giant in oh, Game right, of right. Thrones, he uh, he he thirty six. Yeah, so and it was his heart. Yeah. Wow, because at that size, it's just too much work. If you're a fan of Jay and Silent Bob, you'll be happy to hear that Kevin Smith is developing a new movie called Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. 
I read about this. It's pretty awesome. Uh, he also posted a lengthy announcement, which I'm going to read here because it covers a lot of things regarding his other projects. This is not a drill. This is an actual image from my laptop. Yes, kids, Jay and Silent Bob are coming back. Here's the story. Sadly, and this hurts, Clerks 3 can't happen. One of our four leads opted out of the flick, and I can almost guarantee you it's the actor who plays Randall. Yeah. Because he barely got him back for Clerks 2. That's what everybody says. Well, and then even after Clerks 2, he had a difficult time with the Weinstein company. Yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, he's justified in his position, and even Kevin Smith tried to, you know, work out something, and the company just drew the line in the sand and which is a shame anyway work too actually worked actually oh yeah a sequel that was damn good and he's one of the best actors in that i mean i i, I would argue to say he was probably the best i love the randall character and he he his attitude pulls it off perfectly so I, i'm sorry that it couldn't work out i really hope though that uh smith does release the clerks three screenplay one day mm, that would be because nice. i would like to see what it would have been but continuing on, so I worked on a Mallrats movie instead, which also didn't happen because it turned into a Mallrats series. I pitched said sequel series to six different networks, only to find no takers thus far. Mind you, I'm not complaining. No one gets to make everything they want to make in this business, do they? And I've been lucky to make anything at all. So there's so much competition out there, so much, much cooler ideas from fresh folks. And besides... I had Comic Book Men and then Tusk the Movie and Yoga Hosers, which all came together so crazy quickly, and the podcast and the Fat Man on Batman. And with all that, how could I bitch about No Clerks 3 or Mallrats 2? When then I started directing the CW shows, it was such a slice of heaven on earth. I, put, I happily put away my Universe sequels to the side. Since I sold Clerks and Mallrats years ago, they're owned by others which limits my moves with my own material. I don't mind. Back in the day, all I ever wanted to do was sell my stuff so I could be in the movie business in the first place, so I don't own Clerks, Mall Rats, Chasing Amy, or Dogma, but I do own Jay and Silent Bob. So while I love playing with someone else's new toys on The Flash and Supergirl, I'm getting eager to play with my old toys again in the interconnected view of universe I spent the first half of my career creating. And so all last month, I had the time of my life laughing while writing Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, a fun flick in which the Jersey Boys have to go back to Hollywood to stop a brand new reboot of the old Blunt Man and Chronic movie they hated so much. It's a tongue-in-cheek, silly-ass satire (coughs) that pokes fun at the movie business recent redo obsession, fearing an all-star cast of cameos and familiar faces. I also met with the good folks at Miramax, and they're into it, and so I'm hoping we'll be shooting in the summer. Never give up, kids. You can do anything you want in life, so long as you're patient and malleable. Kevin Smith. Yeah, I I remember reading that um, and just being tickled with the idea because, you know, we have these soft reboots now, which are, you know, technically sequels, but they're introducing new casts so that, you know, the torch can be passed. But in this case, it's a true sequel disguised as a soft reboot. So it's it's very, I don't know, it's a very cool idea. Has the word three boot been used, used yet? Three boot? I don't know. <laughs> it's coming. Someone's going to use that for something. Yeah, really. Fantastic Four needs a three boot. <laughs> yeah, it does. And I, I get based on an interview that I, I saw earlier today, I doesn't look like that's going to be coming anytime soon. They've pretty much given up on that. But apparently there's still hope left in the Gambit movie. That's apparently still happening. Dear Lord. Hey, can we call this Geek Shocks 3 boot? 
three. <laughs> I think we're beyond three uh, at yeah. this point. Thirty-three boot. <laughs> uh, let's let's do the sad stuff. Bill Paxton. Oh, oh man. man. Bill Paxton died. He was sixty-one. Cause of death due to complication from surgery. Oh God. Uh, he was the punk who dared confront naked Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Terminator. Yep. Although that wasn't his first. No, 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 no. I'm just talking some some mm. of his ones that we know him for. He he was Chet, the worst Big Brother of all time. <laughs> John Hughes, Weird Science, Private Hudson, the excitable, ever quotable Marine and Aliens, Severin, charming young sadistic vampire, and Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark. Assaulted by Arnold Schwarzenegger once again in James Cameron's True Lies, led the modern day narrative of Cameron's Titanic. Faced off against a Predator in Predator 2 and joined Tom Hanks, Kevin Bacon, and Apollo 13. Chased tornadoes in Yon DeBont's Twister and taught Tom Cruise how to fight in Edge of Tomorrow. He's great in that movie. Yeah. Oh. Bill Paxton was also an accomplished director, having called the shots and starred in the gothic horror film Frailty, which if you haven't seen it, that is an amazing horror film. And chronicled the 1913 U.S. Open in The Greatest Game Ever Played. And televisions include HBO's long-running Big Love, Hatfields and McCoys, and the recent stint on Marvel's Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and uh, most recently Training Day. So mm-hmm. I, that is an actor that's so ingrained in my youth. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. totally. Especially yeah. between Weird Science and Aliens, those two right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Well, and, and he's unique in the fact that not just our youth, but the entirety of our lifespan so far because you're talking like those early 80s movies you know where we're just being exposed to cinema all the way through the 90s where he he was in you know hit after hit and then into the 2000s and then the 2010s i mean it just it's you know he was the big reason i watched big love he was amazing in that show you you know my big thing is weird music Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know this connection. Yes, on being he had those a... things posted it, but he directed and pretty much starred in the video for Fish Heads. Really, well, he, he yes. had a oh. he had a, a musical group too. Oh crap! What was the name of yeah. that? But uh, he, Martini he, something. Yeah. Oh damn it! It's gonna look drive it up. Why talk about Fish Heads? Yeah. So uh, he just liked the song, and he uh, um, spent the whole summer direct. He was always directing a whole bunch of short films because he was a film student or something at that point. And he actually went and took the, the frigging music video to 30 Rock mm-hmm. and waited in the lobby for two days till they, somebody took the thing to see it. And yeah. he went to follow him to go in. No, 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 you're not coming in with us. And then he sat back down. And they came back like five minutes later. It's like, okay, yeah, we want to show this next week. And they showed it two weeks in a row. Holy smoke. Yeah. I had no idea. I didn't know that either until Bean posted something about it. And I looked it up like, holy crap. So... Martini Ranch was the name of his uh, new wave band. Ah, okay. Uh, had uh, huh. hints of Devo and, um, um, well, other new wave bands of that time. Martini Ranch seems like it would have hints of Devo. And, of course, yeah. everybody jumped in with, game over, dude. Of course. Yeah. Of course. He, he was that rare actor that could play these outlandish characters that were, you know, hilarious and very memorable but still also take on parts that are very serious and very normal that you're just you it drew you in and you just you Chet's you totally, a shit but he's the yeah. endearing shit yeah literally and figuratively <laughs> and i mean you know apollo 13 he played that part so well um, all the the storm chaser yeah and, oh yeah did you exactly. see this thing the storm chasers did yeah 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 they yeah. spelled out bp and the I didn't see it. What did they do? They, uh, they, yeah, they went out and 
put his initials out storm on a chasers storm map. Storm can get t- tagged by storm radar. Mm-hmm. They can actually show up as a little blip. Okay. So in the, in the central states, the, the Great Plains states, a bunch of storm chasers all got in position to light up their tags in a BP on uh, oh my weather God. radar. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty cool. And over over like a huge area, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. I did not know that. Because no. Twister is... It's that opened eyes to a lot of people. I mean, it's full of a lot of bullshit, but yeah, it taught a lot of people about storms too. Yeah, and it led to a lot of really good careers for people. Uh, Terrible, terrible. Somebody, somebody posted. I refuse to believe that he uh, that he died the same, not the same time that uh, Bill Pullman died. (laughs) 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 Crazy. Only man to be offed by a Terminator, an alien, and a predator. Apparently. Wow. Back in October, Google began shaping up its YouTube-based pay TV service with the hope of launching the option early this year. Now, just as February comes to an end, the company has officially launched YouTube TV. Google on Tuesday revealed uh, details of YouTube TV. It's a $35 a month TV service. will provide customers with 40 network options and several add-on options. YouTube TV will first launch in the U.S. and large in the large U.S. markets. The service, uh, which will be available through a standalone app, and comes with six accounts per membership, offers a package of both broadcast network and cable channels. In all, the service will offer more than 40 networks, including ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC, regional sports networks, as well as cable channels owned by those networks, like USA, Fox uh, Sports Network, ESPN, Disney, and Bravo. Customers will have the option to add Showtime or Fox Soccer Plus to their package for an unspecified cost. Additionally, subscribers may receive uh, will receive access to the YouTube Red original content, if that's your bag. Normally, that costs $9.99 a month. Uh, if you're too busy to watch any of the channels live, YouTube TV offers a DVR service with no storage limits. Google says the cloud DVR can record an unlimited number of programs simultaneously without using data or space on your mobile device. The recording will be stored for nine months. And while Google expects the service to be most popular on mobile devices, it will be available on all screens, including computers and TVs, through Google Chromecast. YouTube TV is just the latest entry in the over-the-top cable replacement market, joining Dish's Sling TV, Sony's PlayStation View, and DirecTV now from AT&T. So if you look at a cut cable, there's another option for I you. don't pay for any of that stuff. So is thirty five like outrageous? No, it's actually no. pretty reasonable. Yeah. yeah. So okay. for for what you're getting, yeah. Uh, right now, it's probably the most reasonable because it includes the the DVR, the unlimited DVR, hmm. um, as part of the basic package as opposed to being an add on. Um, there's several others like Sling TV still doesn't have the DVR functionality that they announced last year. Um, and I'm totally blanking out on the other service. Oh, oh, uh, DirecTV Now still doesn't have their cloud DVR that they were going to have. But this doesn't but affect like like YouTube on on the internet and stuff. No, no that, that, that's is, still I, free. I, I, a I whole new still, service. I can still watch people hurting themselves with skateboards for yes. free. Okay. Yeah, that's. I think that that's important. <laughs> no, this is just another another service that's an alternative to yeah. cable. Okay. No. For the cord cutters out there. The Stars has finally announced the premiere date of Brian Fuller's live-action adaptation of Neil Gaiman's American Gods. Stars will be airing the 10-episode first season on Sunday, April 30th, 
at 9 p.m. That's coming up pretty quick. American Gods stars the 100s Ricky Whittle as ex-convict Shadow Moon and Ian McShane from Deadwood and Game of Thrones as a mysterious con man, Mr. Wednesday, who hires Shadow as his bodyguard when he's released from prison. The duo embark on an epic road trip across America as Shadow finds himself in the middle of a looming war between the old gods, the one from the ancient myths, and the new gods representing modern society's love of money, media, the internet, technology, drugs, guns, and more. Uh, filling out the cast, Emily Browning, Kristen Chenoweth, uh, Yitide Badaki, Dane Cook, Bruce Langley, Cloris Leachman, Pablo Schreiber, Peter Stormare, Orlando Jones, Crispin Glover, Demore Barnes, Jeremy Davies, Corbin Burnson, and Jillian Anderson are in this wow. show. That's hell of a cast. Hell of a wow. cast list, yeah. Uh, I find it funny because Ian McShane earlier this week had the, his Shatner moment. Yeah. Where basically for the people that are really into Game of Thrones, basically telling them to get a life. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, and he's about to star in a highly regarded genre Neil Gaiman TV right. show. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's probably going to see a Good lot more of that. that. Yeah. So Ian McShane, Deadwood, right? Yes. Yes. In um, uh, Santa Clarita Diet, the guy the, the guy from Deadwood and that. Tim, Tim Oliphant. Tim Oliphant. Mm-hmm. I've never saw Deadwood. And so people keep saying that Tim Oliphant was in this and Tim Oliphant was in that. And I was confusing that with Tim Amundsen. From uh, Psych um, and a bunch of other things. I don't. I say I don't know Amundsen. Um, Amundsen. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's, he's you'd the, know not the same actor picture. at all, but he's he's a, he's a guy you'd recognize. And so I was always confused. Like he plays that role. There's no way he can play that. And then <laughs> now I've got it. I finally got him. Now I know who all you guys are talking about. While speaking at a recent Sirius XM town hall, Patrick Stewart made it clear that Logan is his love letter to Professor X. As Logan, remar- uh, as Logan marks Patrick Stewart's seventh appearance as Charles Xavier, here's an excerpt from his comments via Entertainment Weekly. A week ago, Friday night in Berlin, three of us sat watching the movie, said Stewart. And I was so moved by it, much more than moved, I had been the first time seeing it. Maybe it was the company of the two guys, but the movie ended, and this is an admission. But at one point, Hugh reached out and he took my hand in those last few minutes. I saw him go, mimes wiping a tear from his eye, like this, and then I realized I'd just done the same thing. Then the movie ended, and we were going to be taken up on stage, but not until the credits were over, so we had time to sit there, and as I sat there, I realized there will never be a better, more perfect, more sensitive, emotional, and beautiful way of saying au revoir to Charles Xavier than this movie. So I told Hugh the same, that same evening, I'm done too, it's all over. So there it is, because he's been hemming and hawing about coming back as Xavier. Right. So there's his official announcement that it's a nice moment. This That's is cute. it. Yeah, well, I, like I mean, that. they pretty much passed the torch with the, you know, sure days of future past and apocalypse. Apocalypse. Thank you. Sorry, I had a brain fart. I there. still have to watch. I still yeah. haven't seen that one. Yeah, I haven't either, actually. It's all, right. I, I, it's all right. That's, that's funny because I really want to see Logan. I still have no interest in seeing that Lex, oh, at, last X Men movie. I. God, I want to see Logan so goddamn bad. Mm-hmm. Just, <clears throat> just because Stewart and Jackman are working together, it's just, I mean, it just, it almost made. And that and Johnny Cash's cover of Hurt oh. is so fucking magnificent that using that as the grounding for the trailers is just like, holy <laughs> shitski. That song tops the list of covers that are better than the originals. Well, 
I um, see. I don't. I don't jump on that nonsense. I, I every time I hear people talk about, I don't like that. You know, I had a friend who actually took the time to go on Facebook and talk about how much he didn't like Disturbed's cover of Sounds of Silence, and I'm like, What are you doing? I mean, just. I mean, did, do you even have to weigh in? I enjoy covers of songs that I really like because I enjoy variations. Yeah, mm-hmm. and in fact. For for Nine Inch Nails, I like there is one particular live version. Oh yeah, of Hurt. It's that, amazing that I love. Uh, you know better than the the recorded. And and Reznor does that like crazy. He's he he's constantly putting out different versions all the time. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't jump on the whole liking one or the other. Well, yeah, I mean, you also I'm not saying I don't like the original. I'm just saying that the Johnny Cash version is incredibly powerful it's, it, it, it's it, for me it's deeply affecting because yeah. mm-hmm. i mean you can feel the loss of his wife in that song right. yeah and sure he's can. yeah he's he, he's he's looking down the barrel yeah and he he knows he knows that it's coming and it's all in there it's all in there yeah it's amazing don't forget master torgo's cover of you lied at my life <laughs> Uh, punk, <laughs> punk style. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I did that once. Yep. Danny nice. Boone's punk cover of You Light Up My Life. That Back in my music good. days. Nice. Wow. <laughs> I actually stumbled across this guy. He, It's funny because he has kind of has a European accent when he does he talks. But he does heavy metal covers of various others. And he does this heavy metal cover of Ice Ice Baby that is just fucking hilarious, huh? Is in, in, and he does it all by himself. It, it, he's it, you know he's the only one in the video just playing and working, and it's kind of hilarious stuff. But it, it, it was I stumbled across that because one night I just went on a baby metal jag, yeah, and I rewatched all of baby metal's videos and everything like that, and then I got into baby metal watches youtubers react <laughs> to baby metal videos and it was just right and then somewhere along the line in the rec list this came up and i watched it and this guy and he does he does a full-on hard metal version of ice ice baby which is just fucking hilarious what's what's the guy that has the youtube channel where he does like smooth jazz covers of me- oh the guy the that, Met- oh, it's been so long he, did, since it, he took metallica's inner sandman and stripped out all the audio except for the vocals and then put in a smooth jazz nice. <laughs> orchestration. It, it works amazingly. It, it that, does that work would. amazing. And keeps that the original would. video. Keep, so yeah, it looks keeps like the original video. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He does it with other songs too, but that's just the one that sticks Damn, out in I my gotta brain find, I gotta because find it's again. so it's so hilarious because you have Lars on the drums just banging the hell out of it and the actual audio is just that kind of... <laughs> of, of jazz drum. I gotta, I gotta hunt that down. Postmodern I think if you look up Medal- of, uh, Metallica yes. Enter Sandman, I'll have it for you in a second. Smooth here. jazz version. You yeah. will find it. What'd yeah. you say? Postmodern Jukebox does a lot of that stuff where they, they cover songs in different styles. That that popped. That started popping up on mm-hmm. that whole jag. And yep. yeah, there is some interest. There was uh, there was one Puddles thing in there. Oh, to, to, there's a couple know. Puddles ones, but yeah. that's actually that, that. I think I actually heard the Puddles version of. Uh, um, um, Royals? Lord, Royals before I heard Royal, the the real version. Oh, okay, yeah. here it is. The guy's name is Andy Refelt, R-E-H-F-E-L-D-T. Yes. He right. has a whole channel on YouTube that has tons of amazing um He will take, death, he will take f- death metal bands 
and create Disney Channel versions of their songs. Uh, he did a death metal version of Mary Poppins. Which, which, uh, which He's one? good at flipping this stuff over. Uh, nice. Which Mary Poppins song? Because there's no song I called Mary Poppins. I don't remember. He took the scene. I'm pretty sure. Actually, I'm not sure which song it is, but he took he took the scene right out of the movie and just stripped the audio out. All right. uh, uh, crap. I, now, I think it's Spoonful of Sugar or Supercalifragilistic. And Supercalifragilistic, heavy metal, death metaled out would be. Mm. Does like a metal version of awesome. Katy Perry songs, uh, keeping her vocals. Uh, yeah, metal version of Paul McCartney songs and Wings. Uh, nice. It's just, it's really amazing. Check out his channel. Those, it is more fun. fun when he takes the metal songs and then completely changes the genre. He, yeah. he does a good one with Oh, Kiss. I want to watch that. The Calico yeah, yeah. one. That's, yeah, that's yeah absolutely. And uh, speaking of uh, baby metal, have you have you seen Lady Baby? No. no. All right, look that one up. If you like baby metal, Lady Baby is two young Japanese girls and one gigantic bearded heavy metal dude. Jesus, I have seen this. Now that you said that dressed <laughs> dressed in a yep. Japanese schoolgirl outfit. I think you showed that I to did. us one day before Crikey. the show. Uh, Nippon Goo, I think, is their their big hit, <laughs> quote unquote. It's amazing. It is truly amazing. Lady wow. baby. Lady baby. Nippon goo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's just, yeah. We'll There's just let your that cue, hang there. <laughs> What's your Nippon goo? Write to us. Comments at uglycouchshow.com. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Uh, the famous, oh no, sorry, wrong envelope. Fact check Dandy. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Maple Leaf Matt, sitting here stunned. We'll talk to you next week in Geek. Uh, funny that you brought up that... Uh, I didn't f- remember that punk cover of you let in my life. i got to see if I can find that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I have it somewhere. What a way to still close out CD. this episode. Mm. Mm. Wow, only could. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, you actually you have to find that and, and, and have that the opener for this. If I can find it, I'll just attach it to an end of an episode and... Uh, this one, if I can find it, but if I if it's not there, I haven't found it yet. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, boy, that, that's an early recording. Real that early. Is, that is. Oh, wow. I actually haven't heard much of that. The only thing I've heard is that uh, thing you did with Paul, the uh, the the love song thing, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. He has two albums out I, there I, somewhere. I lived in the in, really? Yeah. When yeah. I lived in California, I recorded two albums. Wow. And uh, one in acoustic and one full Instrument producer did all the Platinum instrumentation. Gold. Wow. The best I could do. Um, Torgo unplugged. Yeah, pretty mm. much. Yeah, I, I, I think I opened for like one band at a hard rock in LA and did a bunch of open mics, and that's pretty much the extent of my musical career. The shock monkeys want to hear this, man. You got to start putting this stuff back out. I probably should. Yeah. I probably should. It, if you're interested, let me know. It, uh, one meme I absolutely love when you mentioned the envelope, Andy. Is somebody put up the fi- one of the f- the final scene from Bonnie and Clyde when the car is shot up and done right. away and uh, Beatty are dead and just shot to shit and bloody and the label the caption reads uh, Warren and Faye on a better day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody else posted. What you guys expect from Bonnie and Clyde? Nah. But yeah, the producer though of. Uh, uh, La La Land really handled it well yeah, and yeah. brought the right people on stage and got he it. He took control of that situation. Yeah. It's Full really on. funny. There are tons of people in the comments in one story I was reading about it. It's like, that's a producer. 
It's like, we've got a problem. Let's shoot straight to the solution and get it done and not dick around and bam. And, and everyone said, this is what a producer does. Yeah, and right. We got that email a while back. What does a producer do? That. Right. That's somebody who's earned well. the credit, not somebody who just, you know, threw money <laughs> yeah, at it. Threw in, you know, On their best grand. days, that's what producers yeah, do. Okay. On their worst days, we won't get into that. The, the actor producer. <laughs> 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 <laughs>